This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. As you know, helping victims of crime tell their stories is my passion. But even I need a break from crime sometimes, so when I feel like I need a mental health pause, my go-to is the mobile puzzle game Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a puzzle game that you can play right on your phone, and it's super cool because you can go through all these levels solving challenging puzzles that actually engage your brain. But it's casual, and anyone can play it. It's really fun. So I just made it to level 102, and I've been playing for a couple weeks now. I'm totally hooked. The great thing about this is it doesn't take up too much of your time, but it's awesome in the way that it fills up those moments where you wish you had something to do aside from scrolling through social media over and over again. You also don't need an internet connection to play it, so that makes it fun and easy. The game is visually stimulating with its bright colors and cute little bugs, and Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! Play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. This is Brew Crime, a craft beer and true crime podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Beck. And I'm Nina. And we're your hosts. We pair a true crime story with a craft beer. That Nina will probably hate. Yeah, probably. Whatever. You can find our show on all your favorite podcast apps, and if you can't find it, contact us, and we'll try and change that. We can be found at brewcrime.com or on all social media platforms at brewcrime. Join us as we discuss the horrible crimes that surround us and try not to giggle. The Oracle Look deeper. This is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Get Vocal live stream of True Consequences. Tonight, I am joined by a very special guest, uh, Amanda Shirley, who is fighting for justice for her brother, DJ. And I want to welcome you, Amanda, before uh, we get any further. And, and thank you for being on the show tonight. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Amanda, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and... And then maybe talk about DJ and who he was as a person and what he meant to you and your family, if you if you don't mind. Um, well, like you said, I'm DJ's sister. My name's Amanda Shirley. I've been fighting for DJ for four years now. Grew up in Georgia my whole life in the county that DJ was killed in. 
I got married when I was 18, moved as far away from that place as I could and moved to Alabama. So all of our friends and majority of our family were still from that area. Um, hence why DJ kept going back to that same county. But uh, it's not about me. It's about DJ. So let's move on to DJ. Um, okay, sure. DJ, was he was a 27-year-old father of three. He had a set of identical twin girls when he was killed that were a year old and a little boy that was two years old. He had been married for two years. Growing up, he was a typical, you know, typical boy, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Barney, uh, Chucky, the movie, you know, <laughs> Child's Play. He was, he was weird. He was, he was, he always liked the scare, the horror movies, you know, and everything. Um, he was a big prankster. He was always playing jokes on everybody and picking on everybody, aggravating everybody. It was never a dull moment with DJ around. And if you ever met him, you would, you just opened up to him like you knew him your whole life. He could talk to you for hours about anything. And he was just, I know everybody says that he, you know, when somebody dies, they light up a room. DJ lit up the room because his personality was just so out there that he never met a stranger. Hmm. That's amazing. He sounds like a, a dynamic person. He was he was really great to be around. There was yeah. like I said, there was never a dull moment. So I know you've you've been very open about DJ's struggles in his life and, and the, the issues and challenges that he faced. Um and I know that that's been kind of a, a bone of contention with people that have investigated this case and people that have, have tried to look into this case. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, DJ had a addiction problem. I actually, I always say he had a drug problem, but I, I don't, I don't honest. I mean, he did, but he didn't, you know how people have, you know, they social drink. They only drink yeah. when they're out with friends or they go. DJ was like that with drugs. He was a social drug user. He would only use drugs when he would be around certain people. His wife would be in jail or, you know, split up and he would come home and stay for months at a time and never use the first drug, never want it, never talk about it. Never, not, he didn't even have withdrawals from it. So hmm. I don't I don't honestly people would look at him and say he was a drug addict from his life, you know, the issues that was going on at the time. But I don't really think he was a drug addict. But uh, he did. Ha he smoked pot, which. I don't think pot's a drug, um, but that's his dad died when he was fourteen. DJ was a big church goer. He 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 was in church from the time he was six seven years old up until the time my dad died, uh, which was when DJ was fourteen. DJ actually got my dad in church. My dad was a Vietnam veteran and struggled with post traumatic stress disorder and just a lot of number of problems from being in the war. And uh, he was someone that you would never think would go to church. And DJ actually got him in church, got him saved and baptized. Mm. And so, so when my dad died of cancer at, you know, when DJ was 14, DJ had some anger issues with God. And I get that, you know, I can understand that. And he was at a very critical age, 14. That's a yeah. critical age for any boy or kid, you know, at all. Um, his dad wasn't there. And that's when 
a kid needs their parent the most, you know. And so DJ started hanging out with the wrong people and he started smoking pot and he was he was actually being a typical teenager, but he just didn't have the father figure there to put him on the right path. Of course, we tried. DJ being DJ, he was hard-headed and stubborn. All of this boils down to that because of where DJ's body was found, where he was killed at, the location, the home was a well-known drug house. Mm -hmm. They've all blew it off as, oh, it's just another drug addict that committed suicide. You know, no big deal. Yeah, I think that that's uh, a problem in, in law enforcement. Uh, with people who struggle with drugs, with people who um, maybe in the sex work industry, uh, they get brushed off as as unimportant and um, kind of rejected and forgotten about. And and really, I think it it leaves out the human part of, you know, DJ was a father, DJ was a brother, DJ was a son, DJ was important to so many people, no matter what struggles everybody has struggles in their lives you know and they're all different and no struggle is better than the other you know and i i really wish that that would change because it's wrong it's completely wrong yes everybody matters i mean it doesn't matter what your you know what your lifestyle is what your choices are yeah everybody makes bad decisions and bad choices that doesn't give someone the right to be murdered and not get the justice even even though that they're not here anymore loved ones that are suffering unnecessarily because of the grief and everything that law enforcement and detectives and everyone's putting them through yeah it's not fair it's not fair to you it's not fair to your family um so, I mean, that's like his, like I said, he, you know, he had a set of identical twins that were a year old and a little boy that was two. The two year old remembers DJ. The twins don't remember him. They, they remember baby. him. Yeah. They remember what we tell them memories of, you know, and stories about him. And, you know, we have a couple of videos and we have several pictures. Oh, God, we have so many pictures. But we will we'll show them a picture. You know, I pull out my photo album and I'll show them a picture and I'll tell them what we were doing this day, you know, because mm. we were a really close family. We always had family get togethers, um, Halloween costume parties, big Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas gatherings, you know, every milestone or holiday. It was a family event. So. The the twins don't remember him personally, but the little boy, it's heartbreaking because he he asked for his daddy. And he's even made a remark that he wished he could go to heaven to see his daddy. Mm. And it's, it's just heartbreaking to see that little boy go through that. Yeah. I mean, it's just not fair. It's not fair to to any of you. And I'm so sorry that your family has to go through that. I wish there was something I could say to make it better, but there isn't. No, there's there really not. Isn't. But there's not. I mean, what what could you say? You know, I mean, you know the pain, you know the suffering, you know the torture. And yeah. nothing anyone could say or do could make it better. It's just always going to be there. And um, 
my my heart goes out to you and your family, honestly. Thank you. Um, let Let's talk a little bit about Brandy because I know she's a big part of this, and I know that the whole story kind of revolves around her behavior and the things that were happening uh, in in DJ and Brandy's relationship. For those of you that are watching, Brandy uh, was DJ's wife at the time. Can we talk a little bit about that situation and and what led up to what happened? Yeah, um, I'm gonna start from the beginning. Okay. DJ before DJ met Brandy, DJ and Brandy had went to school together. She was I think a year or two years, you know, ahead or below DJ in grade level. Um, but they knew of each other. They were acquaintances. They wasn't really friends or anything, but they knew of each other. But this was about, I guess, when DJ, about, I don't remember the time frame, but before DJ and Brandy got together and everything, DJ had been friends with this man that they called Old Man. And that's the actual home he got shot and killed at. But DJ was friends with this man named Old Man. He was an old man that had a sick wife, and DJ would help the old man with his wife and everything. Well, um, DJ and Brandy kept running into each other through mutual friends over the years after they got out of school and everything. And eventually they hooked up. They got together. They hooked up. Um, they had, uh, she got pregnant. She got, it, you know, it was an unexpected pregnancy, but she got pregnant with the little boy. Uh, four months after they got, uh, had the baby, they got married. And, during this time, they continued to go to Old Man's house. DJ actually introduced her to Old Man. Um, about, I'm going to say about a year and a half after they got married, we're going to call him Mike, the suspect. We will just call him Mike. Um, this guy, Mike, moves a camper onto this property. And... Brandy started having an affair with Mike. And DJ DJ knew about it. He was aware of it. Um, I don't know how many times they actually had an affair, but I do know it did happen mm-hmm. at least once. But Mike was keeping her in drugs more than he was anything. That's why I, be- I believe wholeheartedly that that's why Brandy continued to go back to him. But she would go... She would go to him. She would be with him for a couple of days. She would come back to DJ. DJ, you know, they would come back home a couple of weeks later. She would leave again. DJ would follow right after her. They would end back up at Old Man's. She would end up back with Mike. I mean, it was just an, it was like a routine. We, it was so predictable. We knew Mm. what was going on, you know, what was going to happen. But uh, DJ and Mike hated each other. Mike was obsessed with Brandy. He did not want DJ and Brandy talking whatsoever. Um, multiple, multiple conflicts, actual physical fights occurred between DJ and this guy the week leading up to his death. Physical altercations. He jumped DJ in the shower and put a knife to his throat. Um, DJ was walking out of the trailer and he, uh, Mike had was waiting on him to come out of the trailer with a ball bat. And when DJ come out of the trailer, he jumped him with the ball bat. This was this like the day, like two days before DJ was killed. 
So, I mean, there was many, many fights, you know, and physical altercations between them. And DJ hated him. I mean, of course, you, you know, he's having an affair with your wife. You're not going to really care. And it, it pisses me off so bad to hear these interviews with Mike talking to law enforcement about how him and DJ were such good friends that he loved DJ and he was trying to help DJ and Brandy. And I, ew, it just makes me so mad because I want to go through that screen and just strangle him, you know, because he was supplying them with the drugs. Mm. He was the one that broke that family up. He was the cause. I mean, he wasn't, I blame Brandy just as much as him, but he knew she was a married woman. You know, he could have said no and walked away, but it just, it just makes me mad him hearing him say and put words to he put words in DJ's mouth and it just makes me so mad to hear these and watch those videos of the interviews. Cause I know how DJ felt about him. Yeah. Melissa said it's so infuriating. Uh, I agree with you, Melissa. I think it's, it's frustrating. And do you feel like law enforcement believed him? No, no, no. They actually, um, the day of the shooting, it was nothing other than a suicide. I have the paperwork, everything stamped, suicide, suicide, suicide. Even even though they caught him in three lies that day while on the scene, um, it was still a suicide. But three weeks into the investigation, it was changed over to a possible homicide. And it was handed over to the DA as a homicide case. So, and we, uh, my private investigator has talked to the detective that uh, was over the case since, and he, he agrees it was not a suicide and that that was the whole reason he handed it over to the DA was because they were ready to take it to court, but the DA refuses it, refuses to present it to a grand jury. So we have a situation where Mike is obviously getting very involved in DJ's life and in Brandy's life. Um, he's supplying them with drugs. He's also, um, causing drama and chaos in, in that relationship and and in their lives. Um, you said that DJ doesn't, didn't really, you know, obviously didn't like him, um, for him to sit there and, and say that they were friends is, is, is crazy. Um, so, so he's already held a knife to DJ's throat in the shower. He's already threatened him with a bat. So he's proven that he's violent. He's proven that he's capable of violence. Uh, he's proven that he's violent towards DJ. So what led up to the day that DJ was shot? Because it sounds like this is starting to escalate and get more intense. Well, he didn't, uh, he didn't just threaten him with the ball bat. He actually, him and DJ actually physically fought out in the yard that day dj grabbed up a golf club and actually knocked mike's tooth out and mike went into the trailer all bloodied up from his tooth getting knocked out and made the remark to one of the people that were staying there that i'm going to kill him Mm. and in and this was like i said two two days before um the detectives interviewed that person in you know during the investigation and she told them that that happened and you know i she said i know 
She said, I know for a fact that when he said that, she he was talking about DJ. DJ had a huge bruise on his left shoulder that would, the detective even says it in the investigation report, that would be consistent with a ball bat. It wasn't never documented on the autopsy, but it was there. Go ahead. Do you have a question? Well, I was going to say, yeah, I didn't see that on the autopsy at all. Yeah, it's, it's not documented on the autopsy. And you would think that an injury like that would be something that would be documented in an autopsy. Mm-hmm. That would be a big thing there, you know. They uh, there was a lot everything. of things they usually do. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of things that wasn't documented in the autopsy. A lot of things. But mm-hmm. uh, the day DJ got shot, Brandy and DJ woke up. They actually stayed in the camper with Mike that night. I don't, matter of fact, DJ was killed on a Monday. Sunday, Brandy and DJ had got back together. They stayed in the camper with Mike that night. They got up that morning. They went up to the trailer to use the bathroom. So anyways, uh, they got up, they went up to the trailer to get uh, something to drink and use the bathroom. DJ asked, Mike followed, you know, later. He didn't go up there with them, but he was about 20, 30 minutes behind them. He comes up there. And DJ didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have a car, no ride, no nothing. DJ asked him if he could use his phone. Now, I don't know for sure what happened beforehand. I I couldn't tell you. I wasn't there. I do know that DJ asked Brandy for something to drink, and she fixed him a glass of Kool-Aid, and it was apparently bitter because it was it was frozen and it was like half thawed half frozen and it was bitter and they had like this little argument spat about it and he asked her for some sweet tea instead and Mm -hmm. in the crime scene photos there is a picture of frozen kool-aid and a glass of tea sitting next to it so i assumed that's true right you know i mean you've got a picture that documents it so, um, anyways, he asked Mike to use his phone. He starts texting my mom, and he tells her first thing out of first, the very first text message is, "You've got to come get me now. I'm going to end up dead here." At the time, my mom was sick. She was, you know, she had a she had a surgery scheduled the following week to have a pacemaker put in. She had a bad heart. They told her to stay away from stressful situations. Um, so she told him, she's like, DJ, I'm too sick to drive. What is it? And uh, he said, my life depends on it. And he was he was pleading for his life. At, at one point, he even told her, Mom, please don't make me beg you. Mm. And she was telling him, you know, I can't, DJ, you can't stay here. I can't take the stress. I can't, I can't deal with it. You know, I have to, I can't do it. She was giving him ideas on places to go, people to stay with. And. So, uh, and he was also texting my cousin and several other people on Facebook Messenger. Telling he told my cousin I have the message from on I have access to his Facebook page. So, um, he sends her a message. He says, "I need you to do me a favor. I need you to come get me now." And she said, "I'm sorry, I can't." And he said, "It'll save my life." And she's like, well, "Why? What's going on?" He said, "Me and Mike's trying to kill one another." And so you have mm. all these messages where DJ knew something was fixing to happen. Yeah. Three minutes after he sent the last text message, Mike calls 911 saying, we got a guy here that shot himself. 
Three minutes? Three minutes after DJ sent the last text message. Oh, my God. He hung up on 911 three different times. Hmm. Every time Brandy could be heard getting next, like getting close to the phone, he would hang up on 911. It was almost like he didn't want the, he didn't want somebody hearing her say something. Um, so every time he'd hang up, they'd call back. But throughout the all three 911 calls, he never made the call about DJ. It was always about what he was doing or what he tried to do, or you know. It was, it was all about him. It was like he was planning out his story, you know, trying to make up the story as he went. Never attempted to do any kind of resuscitation on DJ. Not, I mean, just nothing. It was all about him, not the victim, him. And so that was your first red flag right there. But then you have 911 operator in the third 911 call tell him, to unload and secure the weapon, which some people, he says on one of the calls that he picked the gun up to see what it was. It was his gun. So, was trying his to gun. explain, trying to explain why his fingerprints are on it. Exactly. That was to cover, you know, why his fingerprints would have been on the gun. Um, but it was his gun. Why, and it, what difference does it make what kind of gun it is anyway? I mean, you've got somebody laying there that's been shot or shot themselves. What difference does it make what they shot themselves with? Yeah. They're shot. That's the, that's the issue. You know? that's, that's the priority. The yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, but that was just a cover to, you know, cover why his prints would have been on the gun. Um, so after the 911 operator heard that she was like well so you you touched the gun correct and he's like yeah and she said go ahead and unload and secure that weapon for me which people want to say that th they told him to do that because of a, in case it was a you know deep in case there was a threat there you know law enforcement shows up the gun could go off or DJ could still be alive and pull the trigger. I mean, you don't know what you're walking into. Okay. I get that. But at the same time, I think law enforcement, 911 operators should know not to tell somebody to move a weapon and to tamper with a crime scene. Because right. now, now not only has he touched it once, he's touched it twice. Then when the first responding officer gets on the scene, he touches it and moves it. So there, it's been moved three times. He touched it barehanded? I don't know. Okay. The way, the way they handled the crime scene, I wouldn't be surprised. But I will give him credit that the first responding officer on the scene was the only one that actually did his job correctly. Because he did go in and secure the, the home. He checked for signs of life, called out to DJ, <clears throat> um, and when EMT got on scene, he told them, don't touch anything. This could be a potential crime scene. So he already had suspicions. Yes. And I, I'm, I think the reason why he had suspicions is just from the shot itself. Because DJ, I mean, even if you're not, it doesn't matter 
right now at this moment, what I'm trying, what I'm about to say, doesn't matter what hand dominant he was. DJ was shot right here in the cheek, corner mm-hmm. of the lip. You can, t- they can tell, they could tell by looking at the wound and seeing DJ that he was shot at a downward angle. It says front to back, left to right, and downward at a close range shot. That was before the autopsy was even done. Right. So even if you're, it doesn't matter if you're right-handed or you're left-handed, either one, why are you going to shoot yourself at a downward angle if you're committing suicide? And I think it's important to say that DJ is sitting in a love seat. Texting. At this point. Yes. So to be shot at from a downward angle would indicate that maybe somebody was standing over him with the gun pointed at his face. Right. Exactly. All right. And and funny thing that you say that because the two eyewitnesses that seen it happened say that Mike came out of the room to DJ's left side. DJ putting it on the love seat. Right next to the left seat behind DJ was a bedroom door. Both witnesses say that Mike came out of that bedroom, pointed the gun at DJ, called him a name. DJ looked up at him, and the gun goes off. So there's your trajectory. There's your angle. There's everything. I mean, there it is. <laughs> I've even reenacted the angle and the trajectory and everything. And it lines you, can't, up you can't do that. You can't shoot yourself like that. Because this is a rifle. This isn't a handgun. It is a shotgun. It, it's a sawed-off shotgun, but it's still a, it's still a long, a long weapon. And I have I've tried to work it out. It's not possible. It it could be possible. It would be hard to do. But if I was going to kill myself, I'm not going to do it in an awkward way. And be uncomfortable. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be confident in what I'm doing. I'm going to make sure it's going to kill me instead of, you know, paralyze me or make me a vegetable for the rest of my mm-hmm. life. I'm not going to, I'm just, I'm not going to do something like that and it not kill me. Right. So, but yeah, they sent DJ to, in the state of Georgia, it is a, it's protocol, law, whatever, that if it's a suicide, that they are sent to the crime lab for a limited autopsy. When I say limited, I mean limited. You mean leaving stuff off the report? <laughs> like not documenting things, only taking five pictures altogether, and only two of those being of DJ, none of them being up close of the wound. I'm talking about like full body shots. Um Missing tattoos that were on him, large tattoos that could not have been missed, missed tattoos, missed bruises, lacerations, everything, uh, just so much. It was, it took 30, the, the autopsy from start to finish, and I mean literally from start to finish, like cleaning up the tools and everything else, 30 minutes. 30 minutes is how long this autopsy took. They didn't cut him whatsoever. They didn't even do a toxicology report. They didn't test his hands for gunshot residue. They didn't do anything. 
they did go by with the coroner sent DJ's body down there with them. DJ, the coroner sent DJ's body down to Georgia Bureau of Investigation with the information that they had a witness that saw DJ shoot himself, that witness being Mike, the person of interest, and that the gun was removed out of DJ's hands by the first responding officer. Oh, my God. Which, so... It's documented multiple times that that's not true. They told him to unload the gun. Yes. And he told the first responding officer where the gun was when he got there and he moved it outside onto a table. So no, he did not. Nobody removed the gun out of DJ's hand. This is so frustrating. I know you're living this. I know you're living this. So I'm sorry if this sounds like stupid, but I'm just (sighs) absurd. It's absurd. It is a solved case. Yeah. It is a solved case. They just, they don't want to do nothing with it. It's incompetence. Ugh. Melissa says they can't even get their own official account straight. Yeah. They can't because I'm going to tell you, ever since this has happened, anytime media has reached out to GBI, their statement, you know, they have a spokesperson that talks to media. The spokesperson says that they have, that the, cause and manner of death it will not be changed the case is closed that they made their ruling on the autopsy as well as the walker county sheriff's department investigation but wait because the walker county sheriff's department investigation says it's a homicide let's talk about that for a minute because i i i saw that your private investigator you hired a private investigator you and your family to figure out what really happened and to get to the bottom of all of the facts uh, of this case. And I heard in a phone call that he had with one of the lead detectives that they ver- he verified that that de- detective felt very strongly that it was a homicide. Yes. And he was kind of wavering. He wasn't really wanting to commit to, to answering that question, but he finally did. You could, they don't want to put their job on the line. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, that's, that's what it is. But he did. He is fine. He said, he admitted, he's like, because my private investigator asked him, I'm, he said, I want to know if something happens to where this goes to court, to a jury trial, you know, to whatever, would you stand up and uphold your decision and finding? He, and he said, yeah, that's why I turned it over to the DA. So, the GBI spokesperson's statement contradicts they're what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, because you have this the Washington County Sheriff's Department saying it's a homicide, but the GBI saying it's a suicide, all because they went on the information that was sent down there with DJ's body that was bullshit lies. Mm-hmm. Excuse I, my language. No, that's okay. You can cuss <laughs> as much as you want on here. My show is, is explicit. Um the other thing that really frustrated me was hearing the medical investigator have that conversation with your, your investigator um, where she was like, just so you know, we're ruling it a suicide. And I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, that conversation is the stupidest logic I've ever heard in my life. It is. And I have to laugh at it. I have to laugh at it because <laughs> How can someone with that education, that background and professionalism, 
say this that something so stupid because I can tell you word for word what she said. Tell me. I have, I have it memorized. So my private investigator had met with her about a year after DJ was killed because she didn't have no communication. From the time DJ was killed until the time the case was closed, Walker County Sheriff's Department and GBI, GBI had no communication with each other. Even when Walker County changed it to a homicide investigation, they never called GBI and told them this may be something other than what we thought it was. This isn't a suicide. To this day, they have still not talked to one another. So it was like a communication. So anyways, about a year after DJ was shot and killed, um, my private investigator had a meeting with the medical examiner. Now, she is a, at the time, she was an, a, an associate forensic pathologist. She had only had her license for eight months. Oh, my God. She was the least experienced person at GBI. You're looking at people there that have gotten 10 to 20 years on her while she's only got eight months. Okay, so he meets with her. He presents her with everything. He shows her witness statements where they were interviewed, the videos. He show, he lets her hear the recording of the detective saying, yeah, this was a you know homicide. He lets her see the polygraph examination, which he failed miserably. Um, he let her watch the reenactment of the shooting, which he failed miserably. She says, okay, we're going to run a toxicology report oh, yeah. on DJ. <laughs> we're going to run a toxicology report on DJ, and we're going to review the case in its entirety. Well, toxicology report takes about six to eight weeks to come back. You guys get ready for this. This is going to piss you off so much. Okay. Six to eight weeks go by. She calls my private investigator back. And she tells him that because DJ had a stimulant in his system, that she is going to leave the cause and manner of death as suicide because it was still consistent with a suicide. And, of course, my private investigator starts asking questions. Of course, he's dumbfounded. You can tell by the recording. Yeah. He's just like, what? What? You know, he's dumbfounded. And he asked her, well, what stimulant was in his system? And uh, she tells him methamphetamines was in his system. And he said, so let me get this straight. Because he had meth in his system, you're, you're not going to change the manner of death. You still think it's consistent with suicide. And she said, yeah, because a stimulant makes you active and alert. And that there was no reason why he couldn't have defended himself. <sighs> so just so everybody knows, if, if, you're, if you're on meth or you're on any kind of stimulant, you're bulletproof and invincible. And, and if you die, it's your fault. Right. If somebody walks up to you and points a gun to your face and pulls the trigger, if you're on a stimulant, you're supposed to just be able to bounce that bullet right off your face. I'd like to know where she got her medical degree from. I have her background. You have her background. I, I saw it. Fact, it's yeah. yeah, I saw it. I also saw the, uh, the race. It was up north somewhere. And the positive reviews that she got. Yeah. It, it makes me ask a lot of questions in my mind, you know? Um, like, who does she know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Ugh. Amanda, I'm so... It's the stupidest logic in theory. And the only thing it is, is 
she's trying to make it a drug case. Mm-hmm. By saying that theory, that logic, she's trying to make it about drugs. This wasn't a drug related death. He didn't die from suicide from an overdose. He wasn't drugged. It has, drugs have absolutely nothing to do with this case. Nothing. She's trying to make it drug related. Yeah. And it's not. And that is the only theory that she could come up with to cover her ass. And then he and then my private investigator gets into the question of where well did you did you do a gunshot residue on DJ? On his fingers and his hands. And, yeah, and she said, no, um, it's not protocol, and we don't usually do it unless it's requested, and it wasn't requested. And he said, so we don't actually know if he was holding the gun or not when it went off. And she's like, well, that's when you would need to consult with the gunshot expert. And he said, I am one. And he's like, which I am. <laughs> and she's like, she's like the deer in a headlights. You know, she didn't know what to do then. But, yeah, I mean, she's, she's an idiot. Mm-hmm. I will say it. Dr. Natasha Grande is an idiot. Yeah. She is. That's, that's all I can say. She needs to go back to medical school from the beginning mm-hmm. and start all over. Absolutely. Or or go do something else. Yeah, go. Go be a vet. Do. I don't know. I wouldn't even put animals through that. <laughs> go be a waitress. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, God. Okay, so. So because of all of this, because of her and because of, you know, GBI and everything, uh, the case is officially closed. Manner of death listed as suicide. Um, so what can, what can we do? What, what can we do to help you? How can my listeners help you get justice for DJ? Because I mean, for me as an outsider, it's very obvious, right? And, and there's a lot of, other episodes on other podcasts on you, you know, Kendall Ray did an episode of this on YouTube. Um, there's an ID channel piece on this case. Uh, it's a clear, this is a huge miscarriage of justice. What can I yeah, do I mean, to help you? Just between Kendall Ray's video and the investigation discovery video, DJ's case has been viewed over a million times just on those two videos. On YouTube, that's not counting all the other platforms that they're on. I mean, you like you said, you got Nancy Grace Crime Online covering it on the article. You've got the Nancy Grace podcast that's covered it. You've got he's he's been on about forty podcasts, and I'm not even got thirty thousand signatures on his petition yet. It's been viewed eighty thousand times, but I haven't even hit thirty thousand signatures on his petition in three years. And I just, people are, I just feel like people are judgmental. They want to say, well, same thing that law enforcement is, you know, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. No, that, that's not, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not fair to his kids. His kids deserve that piece of paper saying someone took their father away from them, not saying that he chose to end his life and leave his children. And so we have the petition. I don't know if it'll do any good. Signed the petition. Um, had a meeting with GBI director last week. I haven't, I haven't released what was said or anything else. I'm still not going to release that yet. I will say that I'm just waiting 
to see what comes from that, if anything at all. And the reason I say that is because in the last four years, as I'm sure you know, you get a lot of broken promises (laughs) and lies Mm -hmm. and everything else. So I'm not going to say what happened or what was said at that meeting. I will say that our main goal right now, because I kind of, when I went into the meeting, I had, I just had a feeling that he was just meeting with me to appease me to say, oh, well, I met with them, blah, blah, blah. So that's what I went in there feeling. Still feel that way. Don't know for sure. Not going to say that's the case, but I still feel that way. So my main priority right now is we're trying to come up with the funds to hire our own independent forensic pathologist. Okay. So we have a GoFundMe and we have a PayPal pool because I know a lot of people are, they're not keen on wanting to donate to GoFundMe because of all the fees that they charge and everything. I started the PayPal pool for those, you know, for those people. Um, any amount, even if it's just 2 or $3, you know, those two, if you have a hundred people donate 2 or $3, that adds up. Yeah. I don't expect everyone to pay for this. You know, I'm about $25,000 into this case and I don't have the funds. I don't have the funds. I, I was funding DJ's case myself for the first three years. Last October, I got diagnosed with cancer. My medical bills from the surgery and the treatments have cut DJ's funding off completely i can't even fund his case anymore and i don't like to ask people for help i'm a very independent person but i'm just i I need help you do and there's nothing wrong with asking for help amanda and i'm hoping that my listeners will help you because your family deserves justice dj's kids deserve justice Please, please, even if it's a dollar, even if it's $2, please give whatever you can. There's no reason why this case shouldn't be closed in a positive way. There's no reason why this man who took DJ's life should be free. It's wrong. It doesn't matter what DJ struggles were. None of that matters. This man is a murderer. He deserves to be in prison. I'm so sorry. My heart is completely broken for you. I hope that this helps. I really do. Uh, if you're listening the to the recorded uh, release that I'm going to do on my podcast, please go to the show notes. All of the links that you need will be there. Uh, a dollar will go a long way. This is just for everyone fighting an injustice. This is an entertainment. This, you know, our this is our lives. We we live with this every day. We try to live with it every day. And don't just listen to these podcasts and, you know, these YouTube crime shows. Do, you know, step up and do something to help. If it's nothing but to share the case, you know, get the word out there about it. That, that, that means the world to us, you know. Yeah. But just anything, anything. That's all we ask. Just listen to us. Don't just look at us as entertainment. Listen to us. Yeah. Take take action. You know, the reason people... Yeah. It's not fun coming on to these shows and t- reliving the trauma and reliving the pain over and over again. It's awful. It's horrible. Yeah. We don't do this for, you know, our health because it sure does. It's not, it takes a toll on us having to relive it. It's not good for our health, honestly. 
and I'm, I'm a true believer that 90% of my health issues that have occurred since CJ was killed is from mm-hmm. this. Yeah. But we don't stop. We don't stop. Nope. We can't. Because if we don't fight for them, nobody 100%. else will. Well, I, I, I really hope that this is helpful for you. And I hope that you see some positive momentum. Uh, I, I'm going to donate to this cause as well because it's a worthy cause and uh, it needs to happen. It needs to happen. So thanks again for listening to True Consequences. Follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at True Consequences Pod and on Twitter at True Cons Pod. True Consequences is hosted, written, and produced by me, your host, Eric Carter-Landine. Thanks for listening, and stay safe, New Mexico.